So combining those those two two ideas, I think, is the way to go. Train as hard as you can with perfect form and rep execution. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by, check this out, Scott. I got a new shirt. I love that. TrueNutrition.com. They hooked me up with this awesome shirt. It's like the Metallica Ride the Lightning yes. uh, logo, which I love, and I have yeah. that shirt. And now I have uh -huh. the true nutrition version of it too. We have a new code actually, one word, think. So the old cold code advices still works, but we're going to move forward into our new era of podcasting with think big and have a new code. Think right. uh, yeah. guys also too, if you enjoy our content, do us a favor, hit the like button and share this with a friend, share this with somebody who needs to learn about bodybuilding today. We're going to talk about, Scott has his whole thing prepared again, which I love these, uh, for better or for worse, bodybuilding then in the old days versus bodybuilding now. So yeah, I kind of, I've got this monster table that I'm building on and uh, just all sorts of aspects of like the bodybuilding culture and the um, competitive nature of the endeavor. Yeah. And so there's different aspects. And then I just kind of like what I put together was sort of my perspective from when I started in the late 90s as a well, I mean, I was I started lifting when I was 11. So it was in the early 80s, you know, and reading all the magazines and then competing. So it's kind of 80s, 90s, then, you know, early competition days for me. So, you know, before the turn of the millennium and now it's how I how I sort of perceive it. And okay. granted, I've got an old guy lens. So like the first giant ginormous difference and this is sort of like this is our domain here scott is information exchange mm. and in how information is transmitted so like if you're looking at that chart like back in the old days like the first comparison there is a lot of information was just exchanged in the gym sure and then we had like free bodybuilding boards like intense muscle which you know we're both familiar with yeah that and that was kind of largely it like you could like there was a news group when the internet, internet first came to being called miscellaneous fitness weights. Okay. Lyle McDonald was on there. Dan Duchesne was on there at one point in time before he passed. Like that was around. And then news groups, intense muscle, professional muscle who lats is a moderator on, um, came to be. And then there was like get big and bodybuilding.com and Chad Nichols had a board. Oh yeah. Muscle mayhem. Yeah. Fuad Abiyad was on there. Hoss was his name. So that's sort of his nickname from back in the day. I remember watching him literally post pictures of him. He just posted one the other day of him as he was gaining weight, like pushing towards the 300 pound barrier. That's cool. Standing in the, in the locker room of his gym with, and he posted one of these, like literally people can see it in the last probably two weeks by the time this podcast gets out in front of those blue lockers and like, you know, 292 today, you know, and everyone's like, you know, people, these are just guys, dudes like interacting. And then asking, and it was very hush hush, hmm. and kind of covert. And now, we've got social media. Yeah, you know, being like as far as inner in exchange between individuals, you've got all the things that are going on with social media. And I kind of listed those in that giant that block of information exchange. Yeah, and it's to a totally different dynamic. So, you might have let's take take a specific example. Let's say Ken post something about skip loading on mm -hmm. intense muscle you know like here, five mistakes people he just just starts to an informational thread about five mistakes that people make when skip loading i don't even know if yeah. everybody knows who ken is 
Oh, Skip. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> and Skip Hill, right? Who the hell's this Ken guy? Who's this Ken? Right, yeah. Uh, so he posts that. And, you know, then you've got literally there's probably going to be like a cast of maybe 15, 20, 40, 50 characters who will ask questions. Ken's clients, me, Dante, the regulars on that board, and Ken answering those things. And then there would be, but there are thousands of lurkers. I've heard from hundreds, maybe thousands of people over the years who used to lurk the board. Yeah. Who I didn't know who they were. Me. They just, they didn't Me. post. They just, yeah, right. There, but you're, a, you're yeah. a lurker, right? And, and that was the, it was like kind of a one-on-one, you know, exchange. And those threads would stay for years and you could go back and look at them and bookmark them. And now you've got social. So there was like a, a number of sort of, um, call them authorities or well-known sources of information that mm-hmm. people could kind of dig deeply into and gather information from. And, uh, and now we've got social media, um, which is a lo- in large part. Like, so, there's, so there's a million and one large voices with tens of thousands of followers. Yeah. And when they post something, like let's take someone who's got 100,000 followers. Go look at it. Like, as long as those are like real followers, mm-hmm. they're that well-known. There will be hundreds, hundreds of responses, mm-hmm. and h- half of them are junk, like you know, kind of spam, like you know, um, let us sponsor you, send my pics here, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, and Ken would not put up with that. We'd just block that stuff; he'd be gone. So the responses and the interaction after a, a big post like that is, it's almost like this immaterial. There's not much there. The and the original poster can't respond to those questions. Mm in any true meaningful way, at least they're on that, on that social media, on their page. Yeah. So, um, so, and there's just hundreds of thousands of quote unquote influencers there. So the quality of the information exchange is very, very different in particular. It's one way. Yeah. This is what I say. And people want to correct those things. Like I answer is almost every DM that I get on Instagram. I get some, you know, some, strange ones every once in a while, but I literally try to answer every single one I get. I think because I've, you know, that's kind of how I am. I think it's just me, but that's where the real meat and potatoes of things are, even if they're simple questions. So that like the way that those things are exchanged is totally different. There's still some smaller boards that are out there, but there's lots of pay sites too, like Jordan's pay site, which is a great discussion board, but people want to go to the free things, intense mm-hmm. muscle, professional, all those boards are, are free. Mm-hmm. You know, they have advertisers, but there was no one had to pay for those things. It's all totally free. So it's a totally different landscape as to where you get your information yeah. and how you how you gather it. Um, so like all this was kind of underground, like for the longest time I had, you know, a user ID that kept me kind of anonymous. Yeah. So you could kind of say and do anything and get away with things, so to speak, you know. And now everyone is li- it's just the opposite. You want everyone to know who you actually are. You're trying to make yourself into a celebrity so that you can be known and make money in that way. Yeah. So the purpose of spreading information is that you're an influencer and that's your job is to become as known as possible so you can gain sponsorships and what have you. Whereas back in the day, like Dante was just trying to help as many people as he could. He yeah. just loved this shit and posted and posted and posted and posted all these classic, classic posts like the, the Cycles for Pennies thread, which I would – wager say maybe the most famous bodybuilding thread there is i would agree with um, that yeah yeah and that was just dante just like the story behind that if people don't know why he's called dog crap is and i think i'm pretty sure this is dead on like he just was like people knew who he was previously on that board and he wanted to sort of be anonymous and just sort of get all these ideas out there without 
getting attacked by the people who like to kind of you know interact with him and kind of kind of semi troll him mm-hmm. so he's like i'll just make a username like just whatever it doesn't matter it's just fucking dog crap whatever i'll just call myself dog crap yeah and that's what he little did he know that dog crap and dc training would become you know what it is <laughs> he probably would have rethought and, that yeah. you probably I know that's like, great though like you know yeah. you, when you ask somebody in the gym like you know what dog crap training is and they're like what like no i don't have a pet like no yeah. no, no it's not it has nothing to do with that so but that was like it was a different a different dynamic so people are, are trying to sell you on their ideas and their philosophies et cetera. and it's a one-way you know um uh, kind of like it almost, it's not, this is negative connotation. Let's say it this way, but it's sort of like what an evangelist does. Mm-hmm. They're trying to sell you on their way of thinking on their quote unquote religion to some, to some degree. So it's not like, you know, Hey, let's talk about this shit and tell me what you think. That sort of thing. Um, of course, paper magazines, flex, muscle and fitness, MD, though, that those are just, those basically have gone the way of the dodo bird. Yeah, they really like, have. You can, can you even, I don't even know if they have paper versions. Yeah. And, they, yeah. Yeah. I think they still do. I know I still yeah. see bodybuilding magazines in general. I I bought a few, uh, 2019, 2020 pandemic kit. Mm-hmm. But before that I was doing a lot of flying and I would buy a magazine just to kind of look at how they did marketing and stuff and to right. read how they used their text on the covers and just learn for my own purposes, you know? Uh, yeah. Check out their topics and stuff. So I know they're still out there, but man, yeah, it, it used to be, man, even at like the drugstore magazines in general, there'd be three, four racks of them. And now they have it all condensed down into one little rack, you know? No, everything, because everything's electronic. Yeah, yeah. So that's a totally different experience um, as far as taking the information, the nature of the information, um, like you, the ads popping up all over the place. So like the, I think, kind of what that does i mean imagine imagine the experience of sitting down like on an on a uh, airplane or at home or whatever i used to get those magazines it was like the highlight of the week you know yeah. when i go pick up or the month and when i get a magazine and you got ads but they're not popping up at you continuously you don't have pop-up things like con- constantly distracting you so you can focus in on the information even though it wasn't maybe the best you know necessarily some of it's just bullshit like a lot of it was ghost written you know bs like this isn't actually what those pros do Sure, but the very, very different informational world back then yeah. than it is now, and it and that. So, what is the consumer to do? Like, this is the question people can ask themselves: is like, how do I fish through this stuff? Yeah, right. And the question that, and I even wrote an article on this in Elite FTS is, was on knowing who to trust. Mm. Like, how can you trust someone? And a good answer to that is like, what are their intentions? What That's are they really a big trying one. to do? Yeah. Yeah. So is someone's like, can, can you tell what their intention is and, and how, how can you actually tell them what that is? Really? I mean, it's so hard to do because it's just, it's if they're selling persona. something, if they're selling something, then you can read that, right? right? If they have a product, yeah. if they're selling a SARM and they talk about how awesome SARMs are, then you can probably put two and two together there. Right. Uh, you know, in a lot of cases, I think, uh, I think, a, a, yeah, yeah. You, you, if you listen to them long enough, you can tell what their intention is, you know? Yeah. Like my intention is to use this to get coaching plus to share information because, and I, you know, I've been using something you said, Scott, you, you told me that, that helping educate people is part of your life mission. 
You told me mm-hmm. that one time. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. I feel like that's part of my life mission as well. And so I've actually been using that exact phrase, but it is, it's part mm-hmm. of my life mission. So, you know, you can look at people's intentions. If you listen to them, give them 20 minutes, you could figure out what somebody's <laughs> up to. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But you got to yeah, look at that. So. You got to listen. You got to figure that out, you know, because there is a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different reasons, I guess, that, that people might be freely educating you. Right. Yeah. And the, I think if people, it's, it, it's hard and I have to recognize, I mentioned this before for someone who grew up in more of this information age, yeah, they don't have the, this is kind of why I thought this would be a good topic to talk about is they don't have the contrast. They don't know then versus mm. now yeah. to see how things are different. But I do think that what COVID has done to human interaction, it's forced us to go from meeting in person to meeting with zoom and not being able to interrelate with people in a real physical sense, you know, in many cases, and it's various, of course, all around the world now, depending on the extent of lockdown that are in the different localities and countries. But the contrast between that versus doing everything online gives people an idea of what I'm kind of talking about is like so much more this is online. You can't like, you know, have an exchange. Like imagine if you could have an exchange with, with Fuad, for instance, you just can't do this with today's day and age. You could back then, you know, you could interact. We could ask him, like, tell me about your diet. And, like, you know, why did you switch, you know, this this out for cabbage, you know? And why why are you having almond butter instead of peanut butter? Or whatever it is that he's doing. And those that was, like, the nature of the interaction. That's how you got the information. Yeah. Because you just, like, talked to the person. You came up to him and said, hey, like, what's up? You know, and you did it online, too, of course. But you did it in, in the gym. And... Um, now you, there's a, there's sort of a little bit of, there's an electronic barrier. There's an, the, the media, the media is literally totally different mm-hmm. in terms of how you gather that, that one-to-one, you don't gather the one-to-one information. You just take it in and absorb it. Then you have to kind of sift through it yourself. So like you said, that intuition that you can use when listening to someone and hearing them and trying to figure what their intentions are, some of that is it's dulled down to some degree because you're just being presented with whatever cult of personality that person has has created, yeah. You know, as part of their their online persona, um, or and that's it, like that, or that's just na- their natural way of being. But you don't get to really ask them questions. It's not. It was, I guess, in one way, it's sort of like what an apprenticeship would have been when you had like a mentor back back in the day. You could mentor people. Like that's how I got doing online coaching. I would just have people message me all the time and because they wanted they had questions, they wanted to kind of take off the board for whatever reason. And I would just like answer the, I was like, I'm like answering all these questions all the time from people. I might as well like start doing this like officially so that I can like, you know, if you answer like 20 questions a day, gosh, I might as well just like start charging for some of this so I can help people better. Yeah. First and foremost. Um, Cause otherwise how am I, I'm never going to, I'm not going to have any time to actually do anything where I do make money, you know, because I'll just be answering people's questions like two or three times a day. Right. So that's why I started doing online coaching is because I was doing so much of that because there's a need for that. And anyway, so that's a big topic. The whole information exchange, the environment's totally different. The next, um, the next one down is like, do I need a coach? Do I really need a coach? And Back in the day, you had like, you know, Chris Aceto has been doing this forever. Chad Nichols been doing this forever. You know, the only people who were getting coaches were um, like high level amateurs and pros. 
And then the few people who are really into this, mm-hmm. who found people like Ken and me and, you know, people who started doing that early on. Yeah. I think Ken's been online coaching longer than anyone who's still around, you know. Mike Davies. From, yeah, Mike, right. Mike Davies Chris, started you know, in the mail, too. even. Mike Davies started yeah. before that. They were doing, uh, they were doing mail. Uh, and, uh, mm. and he had something else going on. They would do like phone consultations then with pictures that were sent, yeah. uh, literal photographs. Which um, Chad Nichols would do too. Yeah. 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 And then it Skip came like, and like have to send it in the mail like next day or whatever. It yeah. It'd be like 48 hours. <laughs> and I think Skip came like six years after Mike is the way I put it okay. together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but it was a rare thing. And just a couple years ago, I was I was at uh was leaving the gym, one of the gyms here in in Tampa, and I was talking to a couple young guys. At, they both worked behind the counter, and they asked me about fortitude training or something. And they said they're one of them was like, "I'm yeah, I want to do my my first show next year, but I need to get a coach." Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, why do you need to get a coach? Like, you got it. Well, you got to have a coach, right? It's like trying to like have a football team without a coach. Like, you have to have a coach. Like, you don't need to have a coach no need for a coach but that's the mentality is that you you can't do this alone without a coach yeah and it makes total sense that's that's the environment if that's the way things are thought about and so that right then and right right there that necessary first step that you need to have a coach completely changes the game as Hmm. far as the extent to which you are responsible for um pretty much every aspect of what's going on because your coach is directing you. You're paying that person. They're directing you with your training, with your diet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like that, that's just the, the whole nature of the endeavor because that perspective has slowly made its way in. And it just makes sense. You like, you walk into the room, you know, for the first time and like, like, and let's say the room people, there's like some, you know, let's say you're going to a construction site. And whatever the things they're doing, everyone's doing it in partners. Mm-hmm. Just everyone's working in partners just because that's the way it's done. Well, then you'd walk in. The first thing you do is like, well, I got to find a partner to do, do it the way everyone else does. And that's kind of how it's become now with coaches. And the thing is, I, even with this debate, like I'm sure you've heard people go into it, the 90s versus now, like it's been kind of beat to death. Yeah. And some of the guys, you know, like it's been controversial because Sean and – uh Dave said, an interesting point is with almost every competitor using a coach as opposed to the 80s and 90s, are there competitors? That's, that's where I was just where I was going. In was better going condition. Right yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the whole thing with the 90s and the conditioning. Like, are, are bodybuilders getting better, like, uh, as a whole? Are we seeing anything? And the conditioning is one of those things. And I think, I think, I so this is going to sound like an old guy thing, you know, it sounds like I'm, you know, one of the, then was better than it is now, but. I think I have the sense that what happens when it's when you have you're going to have fewer individuals um, competing and willing to do the things there's a there's a let's say it this way. There's a selection process whereby you're, you're going to get more people who doing an endeavor when some of them have to do it themselves. But there's also an option to have someone to help them when you have to do it on your own, when it's all you fewer people are going to do that. And those individuals who when the nature of the beast is you do it alone um, without a coach, that is a different mindset and a different mentality. And I think that one that is, is better um, suited 
for what it takes hmm. to push down to ridiculous levels of conditioning for shows. Well, you like know, I got last drive. I'll, I'll counter you a little bit. I'll say this. So I hired a coach for it. Actually, I didn't, when I say hire, I didn't even pay him. He was a, a guy that I knew who wanted to help. Mm -hmm. He was willing to help me and give me direction, but he technically, he was my coach. I hired a coach for my first prep and that experience fast tracked me to learn so many things that I wouldn't have known otherwise. And that right. my learning experience was much more rich having like, like now I'm, uh, you know, I'm learning how to be very proficient with a pistol and I've done some, some lessons with it. And that's helped me because I, I, you know, I'm also watching YouTube videos and stuff I'm learning for myself, but then to have somebody there to make corrections and tell me, you know, try this, put your hand here. It, it fast tracks you. So I learned so much the first season I competed because I had a coach who, who educated me along the way. And when I say educated me, he didn't tell me like, okay, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. He just, he was the kind of coach who was like, just do this because I said so. But I learned from that. I watched how my body responded. Uh, right. And then when I came out of it, I was like, okay, yeah, this makes total sense. There was a lot of things. It's like, wow, I never would have thought to try that, you know? So there's two comparisons that can be made. You made, you essentially inferred a different comparison than what I think Dave was talking about, what I'm talking about. Okay. So think the eighties and nineties where there's no option for a coach. Yeah. Either you do it alone or you don't do it. Yeah. The ones that are willing to do it alone, I have a suspicion are also going to be those who are better equipped psychologically for pushing their limits. They're, they're already sort of probably extremists and go-getters and tend to be like really obsessive. Yeah. And those are the ones that's sort of what it takes to some degree to get really good shape. Now there's the comparison. What you're talking about is take someone like you who obviously loves this. And I, might I, might I go so far as to say you have sort of an addictive personality, perhaps, you know, me? you're really, me? no, <laughs> so you take you who, who is someone who is a good, has a good mindset to do exactly what you just described, take all that information in and you're going to be better with that helping you along the way. That's like adding turbo. Yeah, to exactly. Rocket fuel to an, an, uh, an, uh, learning process that you were going to you're going to undergo anyway yeah. so it accelerated what was going to happen for you first and foremost um, or eventually down the road so but i think if you if what also happens so for some individuals who would never who wouldn't take up bodybuilding necessarily or wouldn't take that leap yeah unless they had a coach then then you've got situations where some of that i think i'm just totally this is totally armchair psychologist you know just winging this spitballing this but there's something about I need to be um, helped along. I need to be guided, mm -hmm. you know, et cetera. There's various, there's a different psychological shift to doing it in that way when you wouldn't do it otherwise. That, yeah. that means those individuals are maybe going to be less well equipped to really go go to the to the end of the earth to yeah. get in really good shape. We're just talking about conditioning in and of itself. I agree. I also agree with Dave Kalick. Scott needs to grow a a big beard. We could be. I've grown beard. I've seen beard. it. I've seen yeah, I've, I've had beards. Yeah, yeah. I could. I guess I could do that again. I had a beard just like a year ago, <laughs> less than a year ago. All um, right. So, so that's a, like the coach thing is a huge one, and that's why. I mean, literally, I think because, like, in part, um, because the shift, this pendulum has swung so far 
that like it's sort of like it's just a general thing you just need a coach yeah you know and i think there are people then like if we sort of thinking about like you know this sort of spectrum of people that i'm you know sort of kind of generally trying to categorize with my untrained eye is that there are individuals who are who like well i gotta have a coach and they might they're taking on a coach and not recognizing that there's something to be had from not from doing it your own on on your own to some degree totally there's agree. tons of things you can learn like that's what i did i read everything i could i soaked up all the information i could and then you get like um uh who just competed and got his pro card blanking on his name right now jeremy jason jeremy jason yeah like yeah. he did it all on his own and he had a and he like he used a lot of things from my book but he did totally by himself and i am i'd be wait, willing to wager maybe he can chime in when he sees this or maybe post on the on the facebook group that the um, satisfaction that he got from having done that in the way that he did it, where he was sort of ruddering the ship the entire Absolutely. time, yeah. is probably much greater than what would have happened if he – and it would have a different, different experience. He would have had a, a close-knit uh, um, relationship with that coach or friend, whoever helped him out. But it's a different, totally different experience that I think is worth people at least knowing about. It's like, hey, there's an option. There's not, a, there's not just option A. There's an option B to be your own bodybuilding coach. So – that's kind of why I put the book out and why, you know, cause it's, that's my perspective. So a gurus and authorities, just, just kind of like, I've already kind of covered this, but, um, in the old days, you know, you just had a few big names and a few online coaches, a lot of like locally known personal trainers. Yes. Yeah. You know, like people like those are like, here's your, here's who you go to if you want, you know, opposing what have you. And then nowadays we've got a huge range of people who are experts there's, you know, lots of PhDs out there now. Um, there's a lot of in the trenches experts, tons, the influencer role is growing in prominence is how I wrote it. So like, like it's, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. Like I still see, see social media as almost like a non adopter would, I guess I've been able to maintain that perspective, but I, I see, I see people, it seems like I see there, there, there's a shift where there's almost like, I'll say it like this. You ever watch like YouTube channels sometimes and people are, uh, there's, they speak like this and it's not conversational. It's like, um, let me see if I can come up with an example. Scott's going to do his well, best take, in person. Take a look at this new Tesla Cybertruck <laughs> out of nowhere, <laughs> blasting away at the e-vehicle. It's like this, well, you know, over the top, like announcer type voice thing. Yeah, yeah. And the, like the whole spiel is like that. So that's like a way of projecting yourself. Yeah. Um, to the public, and I see, I will see people um, who have Instagram and are trying to make, they're trying to make this their business. And I mean, God love them. This is, you know, what they want to do with their life, and it's amazing. And they've, they, the manner of speaking, the manner of projecting, they literally take on that role yeah. of an influencer, of a guru, of a, of a philosopher, what have you. And because that's I presumably how they actually feel about themselves, but they, they don't, they don't have that. They don't have the followership, you know, so far yet. So it's kind of a, it's a category of online persona that people sort of take on. And it's a way to, you know, um, it's like, you've got to start someplace, right? And if you want to become, uh, you know, there's so many business stories of people that started with a mom and pop shop and then they grew, yeah. you know, you have to like, take on the, um, the persona and almost like market yourself as a person in the know, um, like very early on, even if you're not necessarily quite yet a person in the know, yeah. uh, but you see this way of like writing things and, 
people just almost parroting. I hate to use that word because it's kind of a negative one, but um, that's largely what we do anyway with our behavior. Like, you know, that's how we take on our social roles as we parrot what we learn in our culture. Sure. So much of our personalities are parroting. Sure. If I grew up in another culture, I would probably manifest a very different type of personality I'm imagining. So that's what you see in terms of the influencers is is they, there's there's a personality that's evolved over time, like a, an influencer um, in the know. Um, you know, you see like a lot of the Instagram posts, like uh, um, don't do things because I'm just making up a generic one. It'd be kind of a meme, like don't do things be- because you think people want you to do them because you know deep down inside that it's right for you. Mm, it's like, that's a good one. That touched like me. whatever, I just made up some bullshit, right? That was good. Like, that was all, a good like, one. But all this like really deep stuff, like. I mean, people don't like walk up to people. Most people don't. It's like say that kind of thing. Like when they're wait, <laughs> waiting for the check grocery checkout or what have you. Yeah. But that's but that's but that's like that's what the Buddha would do. That's what you know some really you know yeah. well known influencer type person would do. Yeah. And if that's how you how you see the world, how you really manifest, then that's if that's authentic. Mm-hmm. That's really who you are. Then that's phenomenal. But I think people kind of take that on because that's yeah. a way to be successful. Kind of like you take on that announcer voice. Yeah. You know, I was which I've even done the- that. I've done that because right. like when we went to YouTube, especially, I felt like we had put out hundreds of hours, thousands of hours of podcast on audio. And then we came to YouTube and I recognized immediately that we had this brand new audience that didn't even know who we were. And it's like, I'm sitting here mm-hmm. and like, I'm going to brag on you for a minute, but I'm like, I'm sitting here with Scott Stevenson. He's coached guys that are in the Olympia. And, 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 and I felt like, people aren't understanding that, you know what I mean? And I felt like I tried to almost play it up a little bit at first and Mm -hmm. tried to adapt to like, to be that guy. I'm so grateful, dude, that I feel so much more comfortable to just be myself now. (laughs) But some of that probably rubbed off on me. I probably still have a little bit of it, but yeah, you do. Like I I noticed that in my own life, I guess, trying to like be, act the way that you're, that you, you think you're supposed to act, you know? Act like you belong there. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. That, and that's a, that's a really good way to hold yourself, I think, you know, and like e- even, even Jordan Peterson, um, one of, I can't remember exactly how he phrases this. One of his 12 rules of life is something like stand up straight, Yeah, you know, and, and like e- Cesar Milan even talks about this in, in the huh. context of dog behavior. Yeah. You know, you can like, you can change a dog's psychological state by redirecting their body position. So like if a dog's all scared, it'll tuck its tail a lot of times. Yeah. And, and if, and if you want to sort of get that dog, like out of that cowering, you know, even bordering on fear, aggression, state would have, you redirect its body language and then the mind will follow the body. Yeah. I suppose it's the other way around. So going into like, you know, uh, online you know, as with the announcer voice or, you know, um, creating that kind of online persona, if that's really you, it's great, but that's just the way it's done now. And, you know, like, like this is one of the things I think why, why Dante is so, has been so popular is the way he writes the way he like that's just him like that's kind of like he invented that sort of way like that's just the manifest manifestation of how he just writes and conveys ideas and it's awesome and it grabs you it's not it's not in any way artificially concocted that's just how and like he's funny as shit like you don't see his humor sometimes but he's he's a really fun he's quite a jokester actually and i think some of that you know the being beaten up by the internet as he was and has been over the years has kind of tempered that a little bit. It's why he's so, you know, elusive, you know, yeah. the, the legend of, you know, at least like there's the Bigfoot, the Sasquatch and there's, you know, Dante, right? Like, you know, which is which who's bigger. I don't know. 
anyway, um, so that's kind of an interesting thing. So let's get on the training. Yeah. Um, is, you know, back in the day was just train hard, train heavy, like go as hard as you can. And like your sets were going to be taken a failure. Like this is kind of how it is. Like there's, there wasn't really even an option yeah. unless you're warming up. Like, like a work set's a work set. You take it to failure. Yeah. And now of course we have, and, th- and this, I'm not saying this is right or wrong necessarily. Um, that's a whole other topic we can get into, but now we've got, you know, we're meeting our effort with RPE yeah. and reps and reserve, the notion of effective reps, which is a really nice way of kind of understanding things is out there. So we sort of kind of tried to dissect um, effort. Um, and so what that does then when someone's coming into the game and they see that for the first time, or they're trying to figure out, you know, how to train, if like everyone around you, you walk into the room, let's say, and everyone's working in partners, then you try to find a partner. If you if you walk in the gym and everyone's taking all their sets to failure with spotters and almost dying under the bar, then that's what you do. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, like otherwise, you leave, you go back home. You know, I you couldn't know, imagine. On, I'm sorry, go I got a little excited. I cut you off. I'm sorry. I just well, I, but, I I couldn't imagine yeah. coming up in a world being told that that I need to always be doing reps in reserve. That's all I got to say, I can't, I couldn't imagine if that's when I first learned about bodybuilding, I was told you need to go until you get a little fit till you're getting fatigued, but you could still do three more. Yeah. And the thing I think, the thing that's, that's, I think that's, that's a good, it's an, it's an informative discussion to have. And it's one way that you can program without a doubt Like John Meadows does that. Um, and that's part of even fortitude training. Like when you're doing loading sets, I've, before the reps reserve term was even out, you know, I said leave a rep or two in the tank. And some of that was just to accumulate volume with hard sets because you're like that last that last rep. I've talked about this a bunch is, you know, it has there's a law of diminishing returns there. Plus, you can't be failing, you know, and have to bring the bar back up and start over again until it's you know you're finally done with the sequence of, of sets the way my training system set up. So so that's they're smart to kind of understand that idea. But if that is like the what everyone's talking about, mm-hmm. then sort of you infer even unconsciously a, a person like, well, then that's really sort of how I got to really focus on that when I'm coming up with my effort is like how many reps I should leave in the tank. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's yes. exactly what I mean. And it's not that people are saying, you know, always train like it's not there's not a directive necessarily, although some systems and some people are like specifically saying that. Mm-hmm. Um as you know, John does, and I kind of do, but you're right. So the focus is totally different. Like that becomes the thing that's talked about. So that's the thing you just think is the most important is not training to failure necessarily. Yes, exactly. And, you know, should I train to failure? Do you need to train to failure? And the studies have been done. So contextualizing that is difficult when that's the main topic, you know, like imagine if like you sat down at dinner and, you know, the question was whether you use, put the fork in your left hand or or your right hand, you know, are we going to use like, you know, like standard etiquette from, from England or does it just ma- like, just use your left or your righty, just do whatever's comfortable for you. You'd like be apparently never get any food eaten because you're like be pushing food into your ears because you can't, you're using the wrong hand to eat with. Yeah. You'd be totally mixed up and you wouldn't get, it would just be like a total misdirection. Like the point is to eat the food and enjoy it. Yeah. The point is not to like, you know, worry about which hand you're using and, you know, the order of like how you put your silverware, you know, so, so that's a big, that's a big difference. You know, I think that's especially now, like in the last couple of years, um, 
that I think is just kind of worth noting because there was just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You just trained hard, and that was kind of all there was to it. Right, right. Um, so same kind of thing. Like, what's the key to muscle growth? It was like, just train as hard as you can, you know? And progressive overload, like Dante really made that known to people um, as, you know, a major thing. And, like, getting really, really strong in the gym, you know? So, like, Dante, Jordan Peters – you know, those kinds of ideas that was like the, and that's, that's sort of what Jordan came up with. And, um, you know, and of course I worked with Jordan early on when he did DC training, um, with me kind of helping him along. So, you know, that's part of why I think he would have come to this conclusion anyway on his own, but that's part of why he's sort of almost the poster child for that way of doing things. Mm -hmm. He's also for the poster child for how humanly large a person can become. Sure. Right? Yeah. But on the other hand, Nowadays, we've got this notion, which is said and debated again and again and again, that volume is the driver of muscle growth, right? Volume is the driver of hypertrophy. And uh, um, there's also a, a large emphasis now, and this doesn't mean it shouldn't be emphasized, but there's this large emphasis on perfect rep execution. Yeah. So you'll see, and I think some of this is is – there are people who are sort of specialized in um, thinking down to the most minute detail, the biomechanics of exercise execution. And um, like Ben Pekulski was probably one of the first people sort of bring this, you know, into the forefront. And people always say like Ben's all about like, you know, doing these super slow reps and all these, you know, crazy isolation exercises. And Ben knows full well that progressive overlay and getting decently strong is really, really important as well. Mm -hmm. You have to do it with the right form. Mm -hmm. So, but I think what, what is something that you can talk about all the minute details of exercise execution and you can get, you can just focus on that ad nauseum and, but trying to like figure out how to like think your way into becoming an animal in the gym who's willing to push past previous pain and effort barriers is, is it's a very short conversation, really. There's not too much to talk about, you know, it, it either resonates with people or it doesn't. So it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't bring likes. It doesn't bring attention so much when you talk about that, unless you're someone who's already attuned to that. So you're either sort of already ready and primed and you're kind of have that to some degree, I had the sense, uh, or you're willing to try to make it happen. But otherwise, you know, it doesn't, there's not much to talk about there. So that's why I think the, the, the execution has become such a big deal. Um, so it's just much more, and I think some of this is really, really good. There are a lot of like, I mean, and I've been guilty of this. I love to just go in and be a knucklehead and just train really sloppy and crazy, you know? And, you know, so I'm surprised that I haven't like torn every muscle off the bone the way I've trained, you know, in years past. So a lot of it's really good, but it's a, definitely a difference in, um, in the environment as far as like, you know, how to perform your reps, how to execute things, you know, what you're going into. And I see, I see, I, I even see it taken, I think too far. I see this in the gym a bit. I see it um, a little bit on instant, instant on social media is people will, you can do a maintain really, really amazing form and execution and also take a set to failure. Hmm. It can yeah. definitely happen. But what happens, I think, is – and the, the key to that, of course, is maintaining your execution while your rep speed slows down because it's going to have to when the reps become maximally effortful. Yeah. And 
that's the thing, that's the place that people don't want to go a lot of times. And that's not emphasized is you have to do that as well. You don't just stop when the rep speed starts to slow, you know, five reps in reserve or what have you. So, so combining those, those two, two ideas, I think is the way to go. Train as hard as you can with perfect form and rep execution. And there's a, there's a recipe that Jordan is someone who's also really mastered people people don't also note how clean his repetition execution is. Sure. It's meticulous. You know, it's majestic. It's mm-hmm. so good. So that's a difference that I think is, you know, ginormous. Um, exercise selection. Um, it used to be like, just like, I mean, you think back, this is before my day, but like they didn't even have, really didn't have machines back in Arnold's day. You know, it was just barbells and some cables. Right. That was it. You know, so that's what you used. And they got it done pretty well. Um, so you just stuck with the base to compound free weights. And those were considered better than machines and cables. It was just the nature of the, the thought process. And the machines that we have nowadays are, are I think, you know, hammer strength sort of leapt things forward with, with the leverage style machine. But the um, there's some really good machines that are out that are definitely worth using. Absolutely. But now, you know, the isolation exercises are given so much of a greater focus. So there's a big shift there as well. Um, I, I think I said it to Derek Oslin in the gym. You know, it's like like deadlifts have been substituted for face pulls, you know, <laughs> yeah. or face pulls have been substituted for deadlifts. Like people are people are doing those things instead of like the big stuff, you know. And I think I think if you go to that extreme, it's a mistake if you really want to get as big as you can. But there's a reason for that. Face pulls aren't as hard as deadlifts or Absolutely. rack deads or bent over rows, you know? Yeah. So, um, and I think so some of that comes down to the person too, you know, that right. the, there's going to be the guy who recognizes that and doesn't want to, doesn't want to cheat himself out of, you know, getting what he can out of the gym, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he's going to gravitate toward the thing that was hard, you know, the, the rack pulls or the squats, the squat versus the leg press, you know, like, right. You're right. going to do the hard stuff, you know, if, if you, if you want, I think people still know that, but you're right. They didn't have the option back in, you know, Arnold's day as much. I mean, Nautilus came mm-hmm. along, but, um, yeah, you didn't have the option as much. And so you just had to, you had to pick up the barbell, you know, that, that yeah. just like you had to, you had to get in bodybuilding when I started, you, you had to pick up the barbell, you had to get into bodybuilding. There was no men's yep. physique. There right was no the classic. There's no, there's no waiting pool here. Yeah. There was no hammer. There was no, uh, you know, Nautilus when Nautilus eventually came around, but yeah. 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 And I, I and I see this like in, in this Derek's gym is very much of a kind of hard school, hard, hardcore old school type gym. Yeah. And there's some young guys who come in there and train. And I have I have the sense just you know chatting with and talking to them that there's there's a group of people like you said some some people are just gonna naturally gravitate to the harder is better mm-hmm. you know and they recognize that the harder it is the more likely you are to get you know good gains and benefits from it but then there's also I think a group of people and this maybe even the largest sort of chunk of individuals who could go different directions. So they're like, you know, well, I guess I'll just do the one that's easier. You know, why would I do something harder if it's like this is what everyone seems to be saying is better? Yeah. And my algorithms keep on feeding me, you know, the things that I watch. So I'll do face pulls instead of bent over rows. Yeah. All these beautiful it, life fitness machines that are worth yeah. thousands and thousands of dollars. I'll use these right. instead. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I had um, I, I talked with someone um, it's like less than a year ago and we were trying to, you know, we were, it was a, um, I'm not going to say too much about the conversation, but uh, the, the thing that came out of the conversation is that this person only wanted to train. There's only like a number of gyms that this person would train at because only these gyms had the hammer strength machines that he needed to have mm. to train on. Mm-hmm. And this was not like an advanced bodybuilder. This was someone who had never competed before, mm-hmm. um, who you know was wanting to put on enough size so that it was apparent that he lifted. Yeah, it was you know intermediate level, intermediate level experience, but not with the um, the physique that that he that he probably could have or should have had, given how much effort. So we're trying to like figure out like what's not working, you know. And that was one of the big things is that he. Um, sort of unconsciously had had thought you know, there's certain special um, magical properties hmm. to training with certain types of machines like the hand, and they do feel good like you can, you can get a mu- better mind muscle connection on those things but it was he was so um, enamored with the machines and the sense that it was they were so superior in terms of evoking progress that he'd limit himself to only training at certain gyms that had certain machines hmm. Where, whereas my thought, and, the, and I figured this, uh, this, I came to this conclusion from the context conversation is that going to the gym where there was the right mind, mindset and atmosphere and aura and vibe of you get in there and you get after it mm-hmm. and you make gravity your bitch mm-hmm. every single set, every single rep, you just go to town and you force the muscle to grow, you know, one way or another, as long as you're eating enough recovering, it's going to have to happen. That was what the, the main missing ingredient for this person was. And like when I kind of said that, he, he kind of got it because it wasn't like I'm the old guy, you know, this is hardcore, it's my way of the highway. Like we talked it through, you know. Um, he's like, it made perfect sense to him. He kind of recognized, you know, uh, that he, he agreed with me, I guess, basically, easiest, easiest way to say it. So, um, but there's, yeah, so that the, 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 the atmosphere or the environment for like, what kind of exercises do you choose um, and how you do them is different as well. Yeah. So what's the next topic here? Ah, so now there's, there's diet, dieting and ah, how that's changed. Basically it used to kind of be like, you just got to suffer and um, the worse you feel, the better you're going to look. You kind of, it was like the mantra, you know, yeah. you just, fucked up and did it and now it makes perfect sense like if it fit your fit your macros is you know um sort of the kind of the quintessential way of trying to avoid some of the things that people don't like about dieting you know avoiding cardio like i'm only doing this much cardio and i don't granted i don't do cardio when i diet either so i'm not you know this is a good thing i think you know in that sense but basically recovery monitoring is now really big there's a lot of good stuff here in this particular um uh, area that's changed. So the idea is that smarter dieting is better is really, I think, a main theme. And I like that a lot. It's actually a good thing, you know, because the dieting, like if you think about what's the worst thing for most people, sort of on average, if you had to pick one or the other, what's the most health hazardous aspect of bodybuilding? And except for people who really don't do well when they bulk up and get really, really large, mm-hmm. um, dieting down is is the most detrimental to physical and i think psychological health both sure so 
that's gotten, I think there's been some nice progress there as far as like helping people to figure out how to not destroy themselves, yeah. you know, in the course of dieting down. So that's a big one. Any thoughts on, on that, Scott? Um, yeah, I mean, I, the drugs would probably be the, you know, another most dangerous or worse, but I know you're just talking about just pure oh, bodybuilding itself and we'll the nutrition. Get there. We'll get to the drugs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I think I agree with you on on that one. I didn't really have a lot to add. I think that, yeah, with, with at the end of the day, you still have to, you still have to grind in the diet to get into shape. Yeah. But I do think that we have more education now. I mean, even things like I, I can think back to like, don't brush your teeth during peak week because the sodium may make you hold water from the toothpaste, right. you know, spit it out. Don't swallow into that toothpaste. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So stuff like, I mean, even there was a lot of stuff that we, I think didn't know. And even stuff we know that like, well, you can still use essential fats, you know, you can still like mm -hmm. we, we understand supplements a lot better. So we yep. understand the things that we need to put in place. Like, well, when you are dieting, you're going to lack this, this, and this, but we can take those supplements to keep your health up in that, in that process. Right. Right. I remember when, when was it? It was probably like 2005 thereabouts, you know, it could be like five years either before or after, but when a lot of people started supplementing with fish oil. Okay. And, and this just became like a big thing. People started realizing that, you know, how important those can be. And it may have been, I think it was along the time when, you know, ketogenic diets were becoming, you know, better known. So people were eating a lot more fats. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember people who had literally had been doing like chicken and rice for years and years and years and years. Like just that was the way they ate. And they were probably, you know, if not overtly like clinically deficient in mm -hmm. essential fatty acids, they were definitely on the low end. And they started supplementing and guys were like literally getting repartitioning effects. Oh, wow. Rolling really, really well. Yeah. They just like started taking, of course, large amounts, you know. Yeah. And, um, and that makes sense too. There's reasons why that would occur. Hmm. But uh, yeah, so that, that's one. You know that was was really big. So there's, yeah, supplementation. There's, it's both good and bad. You know, I think. What would you say is a large amount of fish oil? When you say like large amounts. Oh, like 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 twenty thirty pills a day. Oh like wow, that. wow. Yeah, okay. yeah, like twenty yeah. thirty grams. I mean, you could get if you had like you know a lot of salmon, you could get close to that. Yeah. Um, if you ate like you know two three pounds of salmon a day, it would be a lot. You yeah, probably, you'd have to. Yeah, eat, you could get that. Really like salmon. Yeah, I mean, I've I've done. I've eaten a couple pounds of salmon a day, you know, many days actually. I eat salmon on my non-training days because um, it has a tremendous anti-inflammatory effect for mm, me. That's a great idea. Really, really. It, oh, it's, it's hope so. Because like with the training I was doing with Derek, it was it was over the top. It was a little too much. So I'm like, you know, biceps and triceps tendons, for instance, are just all fucked up. Okay. And But I was able to, like literally, I would even notice like some of those low-carb days, there would be like a time when, you know, I just ate, you know, um, beef or pork or, or something else, you know, and kept the fats high with, with mayo or a sauce or something, mm -hmm. um, more saturated fat, but not the salmon with loaded with EFAs. And literally it was as if I had like trained that day relative to how sore I was the next day. Mm. Um, like that without, by removing that anti-inflammatory effect, I was, it was not good at all. Yeah. So it was making a huge difference. And I could just tell by having it in versus having it out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, supplements we can get to. And we can, you know, we can save some of this. You want to, 
Do you want to save some of this for? Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, podcast? we're we're an hour in at this point, so we yeah. could we could really uh, you know Let's continue on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where do you, do you have uh, any questions that came through? Um, no, I, not really, because we we're you know everybody saw we were on the uh, we we're we we're kind of on our topic. Um, Matt asked me a personal question if if I were planning to get back on stage once I was a hundred percent. But uh, I, that's not going to happen right now. I need to get I need to bu- get my size back, Scott. I need to grow. I need to right. body build before right. I can consider that. So, yeah. Speaking of, how is that going? Is your weight on the upswing? Um, I'm holding it about two ten, and uh, okay. So you know, I'm still twenty pounds down from my peak, but uh, you know, peak uh, top weight. But I'm finding inflammation is a big thing that I'm dealing with. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, because you yeah. know the whole COVID thing was an inflammatory process, and so mm-hmm. I found when I first was able to physically train that I would get extremely sore, and it didn't felt feel like a good sore. It felt like I overdid it, even doing one right. exercise for only a few sets. So I'm, I'm yeah. coming around. I'm finding a balance. I'm actually planning on getting labs. I have the I have the paperwork upstairs for it. I just need to go schedule to get it done at Quest. But uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, I I think I'm going to up the anabolics a little bit and mm-hmm. see how that helps and and try a couple other things. And I'm running a lot of supplements to help like restorative stuff, which I've been doing since even before I was sick. But I really beefed that stuff up. So, but yeah, I'm I'm mm-hmm. coming along, man. What are you What are you doing for the inflammation? Have you changed your diet and? Yeah, I'm watching. Um, I mean, the diet at first, I just I didn't focus on it all. At first, it was just a matter of trying to get more food in and get calories in like anywhere I could because I just didn't have the appetite. But now I've been trying to be careful with the the inflammatory foods and, you know, cutting back on that. And then, you know, mm -hmm. through supplementation, that's been a, a big thing. And, uh, you know, I've just been feeling it out each each week. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've got like a, a, well, uh, serapeptase for blood clotting Mm -hmm. issues, um, super biocurcumin, um, fish oil at about six grams, uh, vitamin A 25,000 units, uh, vitamin D at 10,000 units, melatonin at about 15 milligrams a night along with P5P and wow yeah they're yeah. they're going up to like Serrano was saying like twenty I know on, on I know. melatonin, and I think yeah. Dr. Dean was saying that too, so I found fifteen works pretty good for me. I can handle that and not get too you know, like foggy in the morning after that yeah um, um the list goes on and on yeah, some I have to look at those like individually and think them through um some some sometimes some anti uh like some some like free radical scavenging things like like melatonin is an antioxidant mm-hmm. can act have pro-oxidant effects in high doses okay really um, i don't know if that's true of mel- yeah it, it's i'm not sure if that's true of melatonin or not to be honest mm-hmm. but um you can i think you, sometimes you can go overboard on on some of those things where you've just and you're just overlapping pathways you're just doing too much yeah and potentially even if your body's having to process all of that yeah you know create create um a toxic stress yeah, just because your liver's got to handle all that, all those goodies. But, uh, interesting. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm improving, which is good. Mm-hmm, you know, I see, right. I see improvement and I'm at a point where I'm actually, I trained yesterday back and I'm considering training again today, which usually I've been doing every other day, but I'm considering it 
So it's like, yeah. even the I'm not going to, but even though I'm considering it as a good right. sign, you know, it feels like you might want to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Yeah, man. That's, um, yeah. Cause that's, you know, one of the things I get sore so easily. So have you tried eating salmon? Have you tried like, you know, just give it a couple of I'm days. not a big salmon fan, but I could consider like it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I could consider yeah. it. Yeah. Maybe fish oil, something like that. Yeah. Um, I've tried the fish oil and it doesn't seem to have the effect of because there's so if you get a good, you know, not farm raised wild caught salmon and it differs depending on where I buy it. So who knows who knows how legit the source actually is, <laughs> but it can make a huge difference as to, as to how much soreness I feel. OK, if yeah. I do that. Yeah, I make that like, you know, almost sometimes it's my only meat source during a day, I'll eat like six little flays. I'd be interested if anybody who's uh, hung in with us and is still watching this, if anybody else were to try that, uh, Mm -hmm. it'd be kind of a cool little study we could almost do here within the podcast. If you guys want to go out and increase your salmon intake, see how that affects things and let us know. That would be cool. Mm -hmm. I find that and I've noticed this a little bit and I hadn't um, tried adding it back in and uh Peanut butter versus almond butter. Peanut butter it tends to be very inflammatory for me. Um, yeah, more so than I, more so than I, at least now, at least. I've seen that current, with, with other people too. Yeah, and it was a. I added. I had some that was in my fridge. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna eat that. It sounded good. You know, I've been eating a lot of almond butter recently, and um, so I'm like, I'll try that peanut butter. And the next day, I was like, what? I couldn't figure out what happened. It's like I feel like shit. Wow. I feel like a train ran over me. Yeah, yeah. everything was achy and. My knees were bothering me. My knees don't really bother me. They haven't bothered me for years. I'm like, what's going on with my knees? Like, why is this happening? Yeah. And and I'm like, huh. So it occurred to me a couple of days later that it was the, I think, the next non-training day when I was going to have some a nut butter, even though peanuts aren't really a nut. Um, and I'm like, oh, I had peanut butter this last time. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try almond butter, and I felt better. And the next time I added the peanut butter back in, just you know give it a little, little mini case study test on my own. And it was gigantic. Nice. So, I mean, if I were to eat like, for instance, um, a, just burgers, you know, like, uh, like a fatty burger on a low carb day and peanut butter, as opposed to salmon and almond butter. It's a I mean, I night and day, huh? Night and day for me. Yeah. yeah. So, so diet is huge. I think. Obviously, the supplements can help a good bit. Do you take the um, the biocurcumin on an empty stomach? I do. I didn't used to, but okay. after okay. your you had mentioned that to me once. Yeah. And so I actually take it at the end of the day, uh, when my okay. stomach is empty before bed. That's the time that right. I figure I can I can hit it on an empty stomach or close to. Yeah, or maybe if you wake up at night, you wake up and pee and have something to drink. I try not to. I was waking yeah. up three or four times with, uh, you know, like the, the post-COVID insomnia. And it's Sucks, getting, man. that's better now. That's one of my tells, yeah. too, that things are improving. So, no, I don't, yeah. I try not to. I So, yeah, if I can help it, I won't get up. I won't wake up. If I feel like I need to wake up, I'll just still just try to put my head back down. Because then I might not go back to sleep. Right. Okay. Yeah, don't do that. Don't sacrifice the sleep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's coming along. Right, it's coming along, man. Hey, we Good. did have one question that came up uh, on the last episode. It oh, was, yeah. Uh, PD, yeah, PED science that you need. PED science you should know. This guy, uh, Eric, had said, interesting podcast. However, after listening to all that, how do you create a productive gear cycle? How do you minimize side effects? What's the point of discussing theory and charts when at the end of the day, you don't show how to use the knowledge gained. 
Mm. So I really like that last question um, because it actually ties in a little bit with what we're talking about. And the point of providing information for people is so that they can process it them, themselves and make something of it on their own. <laughs> yeah. But the, at the risk of sounding a bit like a butthead. So let's, let's, and I'm, I'm leave it to people to do that because it's not my job to prescribe um, anabolics for people. But let's think about how one might, and actually I think this is in one of the slides that I didn't, I didn't read this. Um, it's on the bottom right of one of those slides, I think comparing, maybe it was the summary slide after we talked about gear. So let's say that we happen to know, for instance, um, from those binding studies that certain steroids have very tight and strong binding to the energy receptor and others of which we know are anabolic but in those studies don't have tight binding to the energy receptor. What, like, I'll just ask you, Scott, what, is that, what does that tell you, like, very generally about the mechanisms whereby those two different types of steroids work? The, if one, one shows binding and mm -hmm. one doesn't, you said? Right. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know what, how to, what to say that one it's, of them... It's, really that they'd have different mechanisms of action yeah like, well yeah okay i thought you're asking like how they're what mechanisms simple, they are right? yeah definitely yeah, like, like, yeah not any like, real simple so so that's the thing so like let's say you have like macronutrients protein and carbs have different um uh, uh they, they're used with the body in different ways they have different roles yeah a multitude of roles obviously for those different macronutrients in the body so you eat both of them because they both can help you in certain ways. Protein is your building blocks. It turns on muscle protein synthesis, inhibits breakdown. You know, its, its role is in structures and hormone production, et cetera, et cetera. And carbohydrates are fuel. Glycogen, they'll fuel the muscle. So you want both protein and carbohydrate, just using that as an example. Let's say you're someone who is going to use anabolic steroids to produce an anabolic effect. And... Would it, be, would it be better if you're considering how to stack these, this is the whole idea of stacking, to use two that work in the same way? So let's say to double your carbohydrate intake with no protein, using a very rudimentary example here, or might it better be better to use one that has one mechanism and another that has another mechanism? Maybe do what guys have been doing for a long time, which makes total sense, mm -hmm. is to stack an injectable within an oral, given that they have different mechanisms of action, at least based on that very basic um, binding assay mm -hmm. assessment of how they work. So that's a big one right there um, that you can take. So if he, uh, if for instance, let's say um, we are interested in maximizing the area under the curve, I'm just taking the information that I remember about it, look at the, at the slides. And you know, for instance, that there's some differences in location of injection site or the the uh, carrier oil that's used, wouldn't you probably want to use the location and the carrier oil that maximizes the area under the curve? Sure. Ideally. So those, that's, those are some basic things is that literally I think each one of those um, pieces of information about mechanism of action, about site, about carrier oil, all have direct application yeah. to how do you stack your drugs? Where do you inject your drugs and what preparations do you use for your drugs? 
Yeah, I think so. the problem is is that sometimes, especially on YouTube, and this really ties into uh, you know the then versus now as well, is that I think uh, people are looking for a quick, simple, black and white answer. They want to be told you take 400 oh. milligrams of test, split it into two shots a week, take a half a milligram of Arimidex on the day of each shot, right. plus an additional half a milligram on a third day. You know, you run that for 12 weeks. Uh, you could use Deanabol at 50 milligrams for the every day for the first six weeks, split into three doses. You wait two weeks after that cycle, and then you begin your post-cycle therapy taking this, this, and this. Can you say that again, Scott? I want to write that down. I do. <laughs> you'll have to, you'll split. have to rewind it. You'll have to okay, rewind okay. it. Okay. That's what they want, those. though. That's what they oh, want. Oh, I know, you know. I know. Trenbolone has an anabolic ratio of blah 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 right, blah blah blah, right. and Deanabol does this. Assay, yeah. You know. So. Here's the interesting thing, and and I and I this is like like my, my age old you know soapbox harp on topic, and if we just take that the the logic of like do this, this is the way to go, um, and like really simplify it and take that as a, a black and white truth, then all we would have to do is do what Ronnie Coleman did, and we would look like Ronnie Coleman, right? And people know that's not the case. You froze on me. Still there? Yep. I'm still here. Okay, good. Um, there's a little delay, a little freezy. Uh, so that's the thing. Like, there's so much variability. And I, I don't know if I, I didn't, I talk about this in the, my, my talk, um, who are lazy and want blueprints. Um, yeah. Then the, so you, like, you do, and the blueprint is basically figure it out as best you can for yourself. Yeah. So, like, here, let's take, let's, I'm just going, and again, I'm not prescribing things to people, but I'm, I'm going to, um, you know, sort of throw little training wheels on how to ride the bike yourself idea that I was trying to convey is that, so let's take the idea that, um, you know, the, what you typically see is a sterified injectables. Um, and they can look at the chart to figure out which drugs I'm talking about. If someone chooses to do that might be stacked with orals. Cause we're seeing like this very basic di discrimination between some of those orals not binding to the energy receptor, but they still work. Yeah. They still through that. We know this from experience of hundreds of thousands of users that, you know, there's something about, about Dianabol. It does seem to work, you know. Um, so they combine an oral and they buy, combine an injectable. So here's the thing. Um, not everyone does really well with every single injectable. Some people, like, they they take the mandolone and it's deck a dick like, immediately. It's like that's a no-go for them. So yeah. they wouldn't do that. So maybe they say, you know what? This basic idea of an injectable stacking those two, an injectable and an oral, makes sense. But now I have to figure out my own path, like which oral works best for me, which injectable works best for me. And I'll point people back. I probably should figure out which podcast this was. Is one of the ones that we had lats on for where he talked about that competitor mm. that he had corresponded with who had come up basically with his own system of combining drugs based on his experiences with them that he developed over the course of like five or ten years yeah. where he figured out how he could combine them and uh, – with minimal side effects and in what doses. So he figured out what the good combinations were for him. Yeah. So another example that, you know, can be a guiding principle. It's not a, a, a black or white thing is just look at, um, look at like the, the basic, and this is a common thing that, you know, Dave's probably talked about a million times, you know, this, everyone sort of knows this, but it's another way to extrapolate from the science and the, and the, the organic and biochemistry is like, let's take a look at like 219 nor, steroids who fall into that chemical classification mm -hmm. um 
those those are going to be somewhat mechanistically similar. Yeah. Talking about like like Trenbolone and Nandrolone. Yeah. Nineteen or they're gonna so you're gonna run into this, so is it better to have two of those or a nineteen nor and something else? So it's the same way, like you know, look at the uh, just like take beta alanine and creatine. You know, both are gonna have you know hypothetically some effect on muscle fatigability. Mm-hmm. Would it be better? And let's say you know what an effective dose of creatine is, and you know what effective dose of beta alanine is. You can glean that from the literature. Would it be better to double your creatine dose, you know, or take creatine malate with creatine monohydrate, and um, and just go with that? Like, you know, take nandrolone and trenbolone, or would it be better to go with, and I'm not saying anyone should or shouldn't do this, beta alanine, which has a different mechanism of action, and creatine, um, which would be akin to maybe going with nandrolone and testosterone. There you go. Um, yeah. Or even better, testosterone and dianamol, hmm. different mechanisms of action, even more so. So there's the finer details. And this is why, guys, this is sort of like, which was what was developed from in the uh, in the trenches knowledge of, you know, like you you stack two orals and stack uh, or stack two injectables and maybe an oral, mm-hmm. you know, so a 19 nor and, and and testosterone, let's say, and then an oral. So you got basically now you're combining three different things yeah. with different mechanisms of action. So the key, like interesting to know thing that um, I think makes that more clear. And I'm kind of getting back to this guy's question is. It's a, if you look at those binding studies, that's a really distinct difference between the mechanism of action. Like one is like, okay, crystal clear, we're binding through the antigen receptor. We know this, you know, we're comparing this to our standard. And then we've got orals, which we know work. We know they're anabolic and the binding is basically nil. Yeah. It's like a total, it's like, it'd be like looking at like, to what extent does beta alanine elevate muscle creatine levels? Well, it doesn't. Well, does it work for muscle endurance? Yes, some some research suggests it does. It's working in a totally different way, and so the unfortunate thing is that um, we don't have nearly the literature looking at the mechanisms of action of different anabolic steroids that we do, in fact, for some of those over-the-counter um, supplements like creatine and beta alanine. There's tons of studies that have been done, like master's master's theses galore that have become publications on those topics because you can study that, you know, and it's legal to do so, and it's legal to give those and they're basically side effect free for the most part. So we can examine that sort of thing. But the studies where they're, you know, like, let's see what happens. Like we'll have a, we'll have a testosterone group. We'll have a Dianabol group and we'll have a Dianabol plus testosterone group, you know, and we'll do mechanistic studies on top of that to see, you know, what happens to various aspects intracellularly that we would expect to be affected by those different drugs, mm. binding assays and, you know, SHBG and upper down regulation of the energy receptor, like all the cool stuff that you, if, if, if there weren't probably the social stigma and the legal ramifications behind the use of androgens, people will be studying, mm-hmm. you know, people will be like, well, you know, let's, let's study these things. Let's find out like what happens to the androgen receptor with one drug versus the other. Is it true that maybe you get upregulation, which you see very often with some one anabolic and not another one? Like there's a little bit of literature on like even injectable versus oral um, Winstrol and SHB level, SHBG levels. And what does that mean in terms of the actual androgen level levels in muscle when you're combining either of those versions, those preparations of Winstrol with testosterone. So like there's so many cool things that could be studied, which would have been if these were over the counter um, supplements, but they're not, they're drugs and there's not a big money making market, you know, 
and for selling these to bodybuilders, it's black market. So you don't see the work done. So that that's the reason for that information is to sort of say, you know, like there's a lot of really kind of nifty things that you can you can extrapolate ways in which you might apply these, kind of like the beta alanine and the creatine example. Yeah. So hopefully that makes sense. And that's but the the reason why, you know, it may have been like, well, this guy's just like me. I'm just sitting up there in my ivory tower, you know, saying like, well, look all this stuff that I know that you don't know. <laughs> it's because it is those things are illegal, and for me to say you should take this or take that, um, especially because I'm medically licensed, is is literally illegal for me to do. Yeah, you know, so um, that's why I don't do those things. And it would be, you know, you can't do that. Like, literally, it would be irresponsible for me, even if I were licensed to do that. Even like, let's say I had like a legal license that allowed me to prescribe differentially prescribed steroids for athletic performance reasons okay. literally like i was that'd be you know, pretty sweet if you i know like a, a licensed you know steroidologist yeah something that's like a thing that, you know if it wasn't right. before yeah. we could make it we'll say that on, for youtube scott ls today right? welcome back to muscle minds with licensed steroidologist dr Ologist. scott stevenson right like you know like john meadows is a pancakeologist we know yeah. this you know, and I'm a steroidologist now, like, cause I just, you know, we got a license for this, but even, even if I had that, so here's the thing, like doctors are, are in a way you could say doctors are licensed drug dealers, you know, that people use that <laughs> sort of derogatory way. Um, but that's what they do. They prescribe, you know, pharma, uh, pharmaceuticals for diseases and, you know, conditions, et cetera. And that's, but they still have to see you in the office. Yeah. They have to figure this out. So there has to, they, they form, if the things are doing way they're sort of supposed to is they form differential diagnoses based, based on the, the symptoms, the signs, symptoms, and the, the tests that they do, the diagnostic criteria that they have based on the tests they use. And then they prescribe you the drug that matches that information. And so if someone comes to me and, and you know, says, hey, like, what drug should I take? You know, gosh, how cool would it be like if I could, you know, um, if we knew, for instance, that all the different variations of the antigen receptor, and there's lots of variations that can take on based on the, um, some of the amino acid sequences in there, that you had better binding affinity for, um, you know, uh, nandrolone versus testosterone, yeah. you know, and it'd be better for you to use a higher ratio of one versus the other, or your progesterone levels or proge your prolactin levels, which is naturally high. It's not a good idea to, to give you something that might elevate those, like, you could do like a really nice uh, assessment of someone and figure out, you know, biologically what the best prescription would be for them. So and, and do I, that. Yeah. And if yeah, I can that, just sum it up, you want people to learn for themselves is really what this comes down yeah, to, you right. know, and that, versus so just is, following blindly, right. take 400 milligrams of test, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, I, I do. And the reason I want them to do that. Well, there's two reasons, at least. One, I think there's something intrinsically valuable about learning how to learn. Yeah. You know, that's something that's missing from our school system is teaching people how to learn. Um, but also, I can't simply blindly give people, you know, the prescription and give them the blueprint that uh, one, one size fits all. Yeah. Because there's really no such thing. There's so much biological interindividuality. You see that when you go on the old school discussion boards and you look at people's, you know, stacks and what they find works for them and doesn't work for them. So, but with, the, with the, some of that information, you can maybe figure things out. So, you know, what is the reason why, I mean, here's, here's a thought, like, like, let's say someone has a, you know, a source of testosterone and fate, 
you know, and it's in one carrier oil. And, you know, the, for whatever reason, you know, the, the uh, sources source of, of carrier oil changes. And all of a sudden, like, you know, guys are finding like, what happened? Did you start, are you diluting your shit? Like what's going on? Like this seems underdose compared to what I was getting before. And it could be just the carrier oil. Yeah, exactly. As an example. So there's things like that that are sort of worth knowing. So that's information that can be applied like literally directly. Ask yourself those questions. So I can't just say, you know, do this, that, or the other. Um, but you can look at those bits and pieces of information and say, you know what, this might work for me. Maybe it would make sense to do this instead of that. Um, so I'm trying to provide the information people can use to make their own calls because I can't, I can't make the calls without knowing them individually regardless of whether it's legal or not. And I can't make the, I won't make the calls because it's not legal to do so. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's wrap this thing up, man. All right. Cool. Uh, head over to byobbcoach.com. Check out Scott's book. And of course, check out his training plan, fortitude training.net. And once again, in the book, you'll find all the ways to take gear for max gains. It's right there, black and white. (laughs) There's just one cycle that fits everybody. It's in the, it's not in the book. I'm kidding. No Not such in that thing. book. And check out our no. sponsor, truenutrition.com. Scott, as always, it's been a pleasure, man. All right, brother. Thank you.